All right, welcome to the Richard Powski podcast. I am <gasps> Richard Powski. Go figure. Ooh, edgy. I'm saying all the things that no one will say. <laughs> um, okay, I'm doing good today. I, uh, I'm getting used to my new studio, which requires that I wear headphones, and I don't like headphones. And also, I have... <sighs> okay, I'm very sensitive to sounds, and I have two corgis, and I'm wearing headphones, so if they start getting rambunctious, uh, you're going to basically witness um, how I act like a deer in headlights when I hear a sound I don't like and try to block it out for like a few seconds, and then after a while, I'm like, okay, that's not going away. I have to do something about it, and then I politely ask the dogs to be quiet, and uh, yeah, you guys might bear witness to that, but hopefully not. Um, let's see. Yeah, I went food shopping today, and I got, uh, I think I went a little overboard. I got a ton of fruit. I swear to God, my, my kitchen looks like the Garden of Eden. Uh, I got so much fruit that not even a fourth of it, it, it took just one-fourth of what I got to fill up my fruit bowl. Um, so I had to take charge and get a fruit plate, and... There's, you know, the fruit plate and the fruit bowl put together um, probably covers maybe, I don't know, less than half of the fruit I got. Everything else is just sort of sitting around the kitchen. I figured, you know what? Fruit is beautiful. It's like a nice decoration. So I said, F, F it. You know, I got, uh, I got nine pounds of, of uh, clementines. I got... I don't know how many pounds of grapes, but probably four is my best guesstimation. Uh, maybe like four pounds of bananas and one personal watermelon for me and no one else. So, uh, yeah, I've had a good Sunday. Did some laundry. Um, I I got these jeans. Um, for you, For you guys who don't know me, which... I don't know. Some of you might. Some of you might not. I'm, I'm I'm a short guy, so I get all my clothes tailored so I look respectable. And um, okay, hold on one second. Hey, no, Mackie, sit down. Okay, that's the first time. Anyway, God, what was I saying? Okay, yeah, I'm a short guy, so uh, in order to look like a respectable adult man, I need to get. Every item of clothing I own, besides pajamas, tailored. So, I recently got um, my. I got a new pair of jeans, pair of jeans, and I got them tailored. Um, and I like the way they look. They look nice. My fiance likes them. It's all good, right? So when I say they're brand new, like they're literally brand new. I bought them from the store and then immediately took them to get tailored. Well, the problem is, I had not put them for even one cycle in the washer and dryer. So I wash them, and then I, uh, you know, I'm about to put them in the dryer, and then I see 100% cotton. So then I'm like, okay. Uh, the pants themselves were about 20 bucks. Uh, tailoring's expensive. Uh, getting them tailored was about 50 So I got 70 bucks in these pair of jeans um, from, <laughs> from mistakes previously made in my life. I've learned... Uh, that clothes shrink 
especially those of the cotton persuasion when you put them in the dryer. So, yeah, I saw those, and uh, luckily I, I, I stopped myself from putting them in the dryer. I Well, I actually did end up putting them in the dryer, but I put them on the no heat setting, and I let them tumble around for a while. And, uh, yeah, now they're hanging. So I learned that uh, I have a pair of pants that I will never get to dry as long as I want to wear them. So, yeah, now it's part of my life. Whenever I do laundry, I am allowed to wash my pants, but I cannot dry them. So I have to go wash them. And then after they're done washing, I have to hang them on a clothesline like it's Italy in the 1800s. So that's my day. Not bad. Not bad at all. Um, so yeah, I got this. I got this new. God, my fiance is gonna kill me. I haven't told her yet. She's probably listening to this. I got this new roadcaster. Don't kill me, honey. And um, it, it was expensive. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, so it kind of incentivized me to finally do a podcast. I haven't done an episode in so long that I look. It's been so long since I've done my first episode that I'm almost about to say that I never had a podcast. Like I'm about to just just pretend that never happened. Pretend the first episode never was. And I might have to, actually, because I was trying to find my first episode, and it's really weird, okay? Here's what, here's what happens. When I go on my Facebook and I look at the link I posted to the first episode, then it's there. But when I go to my, I forget, I think it's Podbean. When I go to my Podbean account and try to click on or try to find the first episode, I can't find it. So I, I might not have no choice in the matter. The episode might just be completely gone anyway but yeah february 18th was the last time i did a podcast so um you know i kind of got in front of the microphone yesterday and i started to do a podcast but it, it was it i just I, I felt out of my element i felt forced and uh look here's the kind of guy i am if i do a podcast and it came out bad and it came out sounding forced and it just wasn't good and i didn't like it and i said um too much and just all that crap when that happens, I tend to stop getting in front of the microphone for a extended period of time. And I didn't want to do that. You know, some days are bad days, some days are good days. So I decided, okay, you know, yesterday I tried to do a podcast. I, you know, I kind of gave up 20 minutes in because I was just like, I'm not feeling this. And I, 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 I can't stop getting in front of the microphone. You know, I think back on it, I was tired. Um, the first time in the new studio, and uh, shit happens, you know? And I figured the more I get in front of this microphone and just talk, uh, the more I'm going to be accepting of when I had a bad day and I had a bad episode. Um, because I've noticed the only bad episodes are the episodes when I'm out of my element. The episodes that are the worst are when I feel like I have to force the magic to happen. The worst episodes are when I have to force myself to do the podcast and then it comes out almost like I'm reading a script. You know, almost like 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 okay. It's a bad podcast when I have to tell myself, "Okay, on to the next topic. Here, we are going to read the next topic." Holy crap, I'm like four. You know, when I find myself, when I stop myself in those tracks and I think to myself, "Dude, you're like literally consciously moving to the next topic. This is this is not flowing like it should." When that happens, 
when I when I when I suddenly become cognizant of that, then I start panicking, and then it becomes more so forced and like I'm reading from a script. So it's just not good. So that kind of happened yesterday, and I kind of said fuck it. You know, that's why I really think there's a good incentive to make these live and make these just make these happen as as I talk. That way, if it goes live. Uh, I was listening to to the Jim and Sam show on on Faction Talk Sirius XM, and um, Jim Norton was saying that he was like, you know, the, the the good thing about doing radio is you do it, you get it over with, and then it's just you know it's in the past, it's done with, uh, you know, because you know his show is live. Well, you know, obviously radio is live, so yeah, when you do a live show, you do it, and whatever. If you stumbled on some words, if you said too many ums. It's in the past. It already happened. It aired. It was live, and it's gone. The thing is, when you're doing something pre-recorded, which the, I, I also fell into that trap yesterday, um, the fact that this is pre-recorded, and you know, I, I I made some certain mistakes, and then I kept telling myself, oh, okay, well, I'll just edit this part. I'll just edit this part. Oh, I'll cut that part out, and then it just became like, okay, uh, you know, it. it it's just not flowing anymore, you know? And here's here's the thing about that. If I am pre-recording something, or, you know, that's why I kind of stopped with my filmmaking. I, I used to want to be a filmmaker back when I was in the eighth grade. Um, editing really stresses me out. And when I get to the point where I'm filming something to be edited in the future, um, and, you know, I'm like, okay, cut that, cut that. We're going to cut here, start over again. I think ahead to me editing this and then, you know, it just makes it worse. So I don't know how we got into that. Like you guys give a shit about my creative process or like there's any you guys to talk to. Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, I need a drink of water. <sighs> okay. Um, no, but I talked to my fiance earlier. Um, you know, she's good. Okay, that was good water. Yeah, no, I talked to my fiance earlier, you know. Um, I, I'm excited for her to just get over here, you know. Um, I I find myself, look, I have been off the dating market for a year. We've been together for a year, and it's a long-distance relationship. Um, and no, I don't want anyone's opinion about it. I, I am very happy. But uh, I've been off the market for a uh, for about um, a year. And the thing is, I want nothing to do with any girl in America, unless it's in a totally separate context from dating. But on several occasions, I have felt like, whatever, I'll have to deal with a woman in a certain context. And I feel this vibe, like they're putting on a defensive front as if to say, don't hit on me. And I just want to say, look, lady, I'm with somebody. I wonder if any other guys experience that. There's also the fact that I'm very short for a male. I'm a short male living in a tall country. We have some very tall people in the U.S. Uh, you know, I'd fit right in in the Philippines. <laughs> the average height in the Philippines is 5'4". I would, I would fit right in there. I'd be considered a tall mofo. Um, but no, I'm in a tall country and I'm a short guy. So I notice very much so when I have to deal with a woman who is like tall, whenever I'm in a context where I have to deal with a woman, 
I feel like I'm looked at a certain way, and it's not, it's not like making fun of. It's not like, uh, I don't know. It's almost like a like like, it's almost like a resentment. I or 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 I think it's like a power trip too. I think like, or I I, I think it's just like. I don't know. The best way to say it is like there's a little little resentment there, and I feel that there's some instances where I've come across tall women, and you know, whatever the the they're six or seven inches taller than me, and um, they'll either look at me like I'm less than them, or they'll do this thing where um, they, I guess it's just like them acting like they're superior. To me, you know, you get this this thing with short guys where uh, a lot of short men, it's a struggle being a short man, especially when you need to find love. And you see that a lot. Um, being short, you're going to have a hard time if you're a guy, uh, especially in the in the world we are in now uh, where dating has been moved on to the Internet. And um, you have those swiping apps. I can't imagine being a short guy um, on on one of those apps like Tinder. Uh, I'm pretty sure there'd be no success. Um, well, I'm 27. And from when I was 17 to when I was maybe 24, I used those dating apps. And I never met anyone I was attracted to. Uh, in fact... Because of those dating apps, my confidence was so shattered that I was led to believe the false reality that I was only worthy of being with women who I was not attracted to. And I'm not sitting here being like Big Ed from 90 Day Fiance. He, he's, he's, he's four foot 11 and he's 55 years old and the only girls he pursues are girls in their 20s who are basically bikini models. That's not me, no. Um, But because online dating warped my perception of myself and what I'm worthy of, I basically had non-existent standards because that's what I felt like I deserved. Well, fast forward to today. I'm engaged to the love of my life, She's completely beautiful. She has an amazing personality that matches mine. We're both weirdos. We love it. We love each other. We can't get enough of each other. Um, And she's the first woman I've been with that I'm attracted to. And uh, I never thought I deserved a woman like her until I got a woman like her. And um, being with her has made me realize that... Online dating warped my sense of self, and it made me think I wasn't worthy. And uh, understanding that, I understand the absolute detriment of online dating and its effect on society. And I forget, there was this Netflix documentary, I forget the actual title of it, but it's about uh, social networks and uh, their similar effect on people's self-esteem. Um, it's a really good documentary. I, I, I wish I had the name of it right here. I think it's some, something like Social Dilemma or something. I don't know, but it came out in 2020. It's fairly new, and it's on Netflix, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure if you're a Netflix watcher, you've probably already seen it, but if you haven't, um, 
I'm sure it can easily easily be found on a Google search, but if what I just talked about interests you in any way, the effect that social media has on uh, society and people's self-esteem, it's totally worth watching. Um, for me, it's hard to watch anything on TV without looking at my phone or going web browsing on Reddit, but I will say I watched the whole movie without doing any of that, and it probably helped that the movie was talking about how bad the internet and social networking is for people, so I kind of stayed away from Reddit, which qualifies as a social network. They also talked about some shady aspects about the actual companies, um... There's actually a lot of that in the documentary, but you know they also talk about the fundamental flaws about online dating, uh, not just online dating, but any anything, anything online, anything Snapchat, any social network where where you have a social circle that exists primarily online, and at the base of it is online. I forgot how much talking nonstop makes me thirsty. Hold on. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. That you know that drinking sound is completely unnecessary. Uh, <laughs> you know, that makes me realize why people say um because when I'm drinking my water and I've done it twice now, I don't need to make that sound. I literally can avoid that sound by drinking just one foot away from the microphone but subconsciously we as humans think that any sound is better than no sound and that's why we fill our emptiness our spaces of silence by saying um which is why I've tried to I've tried to cut down my ums I remember I did a podcast back in December and there was way too many ums and ahs in it. And uh, I, <laughs> I just I just said, uh, well, it made me not want to do podcasting for a while. I'm telling you, man, like a lot of people meet me and they think I have such great confidence. But whenever I do a podcast and it's not good, um, <laughs> now I'm going to notice every time I say um. Anytime I do a podcast and it wasn't good for whatever reason or I, I, or I you know, stumbled on some words or, or I said a stupid word or it just wasn't good, uh, I, I will literally be turned off from doing it for a little bit. And I, I'm, I'm trying to get away from that. I, I, I know I said that already, so I don't know why I'm repeating myself. But what I'm going to try to do is every night – I'm going to try to make a routine of it. Every night at the same time, I'm going to try to do an episode, maybe a half hour or an hour. <clears throat> I know I've done this 19 minutes so far, so I'm going to try and do that. You know, I'm going to try and, and just continue to do it. Um, I need to have an um meter. I just said um again, but you know, I'm going to try and do this more regularly and let me let me let me let me talk about pit bulls. Okay, I think it's a good segue. Um, I I don't like pit bulls. Okay, I just don't, for many justified reasons. We have a problem 
in this country. A big problem. That problem is we as a society are duped. We are fooled too much by media media campaigns or lobbying efforts. What I mean by that is it is way too easy to get a group of special interests to throw money at a cause and in turn that cause is to change public opinion and how has public opinion changed? Well, the media is instrumental in forming public opinion. So it's way too easy for these special interest groups to completely change public perception, public opinion, the direction the country is going in. In fact, I'm 27, so I have a pretty... Uh, everywhere from, from 1999 up until this moment right here, I have a decent... I have a decent generalization, a, a decent grasp of, of society from then to now. When I think of 1999... I was like a five-year-old, I think. I was around preschool, kindergarten kind of thing. Um, and my, like, 1999 is a little too long ago, but like 2002, totally, I was, I was definitely fluid. And you know what's weird? I, I'm just going to, tiny, tiny rabbit hole, tiny rabbit hole, okay? I've talked to grown adults like myself, who tell me that they started having vivid memories when they were three. They remembered everything from three. And me, it's really weird, okay? I have this thing where I have bits and pieces of my memory from maybe four years old. I was four or three. Four years old to five. But... And here's where it gets odd. I feel weird about it. I feel like, here's why I feel weird about it. I feel like I lost years of my life because I don't remember them. Because from when I was six and on, I totally remember. Like, I feel like it's been an ongoing, you know, memories since then. Like, I remember everything. But for some reason, from all, until I was six, the first six years of my life, I don't remember. I don't remember. Like, it's almost like, like I remember I would tell my I would ask my mom, tell me stories when I was a baby. It's weird how we don't remember that time in our life, but we were doing things. We were living our lives. Like when I was two, my mom threw a birthday party for me. Like I get when you're a newborn baby, you don't really know what's going on. You're kind of vegetating in a crib. This is this is quite a rabbit hole. I'm really getting deep here, but no, this is I don't know, my childhood, I never, you know, like, I think back, and yeah, that's when the vivid memory started, all right? Here's the thing, like, when I was, when I was five, I don't know if I, like, I, I don't know if in five-year-old Richard's mind, if I remembered the years that predated, but... I do know that where I'm sitting now, 
as far as vivid memories, it started around maybe six. Maybe even seven, but no, I think it's six. The, the way I see it, the year 2000 is when memories just started getting more like, like I know, I know what the attitude of society was. I knew what the attitude of my life was, but before that, like I, I like if you were to tell me to remember from year one to five, I have mem- maybe twenty quote unquote memories, if you can call them that. I would call them more snap snapshots. Like I have maybe twenty pictures of certain things that happened in between there, and. Here's the thing. I remember if, if someone asked me what are the most uh, vivid memories I have from like early, early, early life, they were nightmares I had. And they were like weird movies I saw. Like I remember being younger than when memories started. Also, like when I was when I was six years old, I remember when I was six years old. Actually, I think I just answered my own question. When I was six years old, I remember thinking back to these snapshots of of life before not remembering wholly what was going on back then but having those memories let me tell you what one of those memories are one of those memories is i was watching a movie i shouldn't have been watching okay my grandmother who spoke no english okay guys hold on one second hey knock it off sit down don't be doing the daddy's on the radio. Daddy's daddy's pretending to be on the radio. Sit down, bud. Okay, sorry. I can't do the, the clanking. Anyway, I'd have... Uh, so, oh, I'm, I'm, I was telling you about one of the memories. So, my grandmother didn't speak a lick of English. She's watching this inappropriate movie that I shouldn't be watching. And it was a weird scene that... Even if I saw it now, it probably would disturb me a little bit. But anyway, this... This guy was throwing cards, like like playing cards, they looked like, at a woman's mouth, and it would cut her face, and he was like a magic man or something. And I have another similar scary memory of watching something fucked up on the TV. And um, this was like a cyborg movie, and it was like a... Robot, alien type thing, uh, cutting off someone's head and calling it a motherfucker, but it was like saying it like this motherfucker. So yeah, my my immigrant grandmother was watching some weird cyborg movie. But yeah, looking back at these like half memories, half snapshots, they were all pictures of. Like if I, if I were to think of the year two thousand, I think of the the feel of that time. How how did the air smell? What was the feeling like? What's the feeling? What's the feeling of the summer of the year two thousand? Well, it's different for everyone depending on where they lived. If you lived in Santa Monica, well, you smelled the air of Santa Monica. You lived in Salisbury, Massachusetts, you smelled that air. But there's a feeling ever since media was invented that we all have. When I think back to the year 2000, 
I was in the first grade, six years old, lived in New Hampshire. I actually remember the election of, uh, of, of George W. Bush facing Al Gore. Did I understand it? No, but I remember watching the TV. I remember being around the adults who did understand it, seeing their reactions. You know, that that's purely something from the new millennium. And well, not really the new millennium. It's really something from the turn of the century onto the new millennium. Um, you know, thinking of a certain, thinking back to a certain time, having that nostalgia, but also remembering about what the media was. During that time, what the media was like, you know, I remember the Bush administration. I remember what America was like. What was the feel of America uh, after 9-11, post 9-11, you know, there was that feeling in the air, you know, it was the stuff that you saw on MTV, the music videos you saw, you know, I remember, um, you know, when someone asked, what did 2004 feel like, you know? I remember you had Michael Myers standing next to Kanye West. And then Kanye West says right to the TV, George Bush doesn't care about black people. Michael Myers feels, feels awkward. You had Paris Hilton walking around. She was the Kimmy Cash of, of Kimmy Kardashian of, of, of today, you know? Um, there was a feeling in the air. And, you know, that media is a part of that feeling. So I find that interesting. Um, and that's quite the rabbit hole to say that there is a lobby that is getting into the media and kind of shaping the way dog lovers look at dogs. And they've been really effective at it. So effective that they have gotten dog lovers and potential future dog owners to make lifelong decisions to own very dangerous animals. It's called the Pitbull Lobby. The Pitbull Lobby has the power to get Caesar Milan, who is a known dog behavioral expert, to get in front of the camera, put a YouTube video on, and talk about how great owning a Pitbull is. Um, if you haven't seen the video, and there is a high likelihood that you have because it has a many, 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 many views, you can find it easily. If you just search Caesar Milan Pitbulls, there it, there it is. Um, you hear, here you have this dog expert saying, I love Pitbull. Uh, Pitbulls are great. I don't see why you wouldn't love a Pitbull. Here's the fact. Pitbulls were... I'm going to pull something up here. One second. Um, I don't want to just claim that there's a Pitbull lobby. I'm not going to do that. Um, because there is one, and I have I have proof that there is one. So, um, let me just explain what the Pitbull lobby is, okay? The, the U.S. pet industry is worth $16 billion dollars. Without pit bulls to sell, to rescue, to rehabilitate, to care for and to feed, a lot of people would see their revenues plunge. And, um, sorry, I'm reading something. Um, okay, did Okay, so, who pulls the strings? 
Who pulls the sp- the strings of the Pitbull lobby? Okay. So we have here level one, the financing source. Okay, so I guess this organization finances the Pitbull Lobby. It's called the Animal Farm Foundation, okay? Run by an American millionaire, Animal Farm Foundation has for its motto, quote-unquote, equality for Pitbulls. The pressure group devotes itself entirely to combating against any regulation targeting its dogs. So basically that means they're against breed-specific legislation. After inheriting a fortune from her father, Jane Berkeley, who owns a literary agency, turned over at least $6 million to her group, $2.8 million in 2013, according to government records. She pays nine employees, uh, one of whom, the director, makes more than 100000 a year and finances numerous groups that share her philosophy. Her philosophy. So um, that's one of them. And then you have the researchers, um, which are the National Canine Research Council, or the NCRC, okay? So to produce studies, AFF bought a private research body in 2007. The acquisition was kept secret until the victim's group Dogs Bite discovered this during litigation. By the way, love that organization. Great organization. Dogs Bite is amazing. I forget if it's dogsbite.com or .org, but they're an amazing Truthful organization um, that you know tells the truth about pit bulls. Uh, National Canine Research Council was created by a veterinary technician, Karen Delise. Neither an academic researcher nor a veterinarian, she proclaims herself as the greatest national expert on deaths caused by dog bites. Pretty nefarious claim, I would say. An action fund permits the organization to engage in lobbying according to government registration. So that's another um, piece of the Pitbull Lobby. And I don't want to waste too much time on this because uh, if you're not like me, then you probably aren't interested in hearing about companies and how they have um, have a stake in a certain lobby. But I just want to just give you guys a feel that that, that the Pitbull Lobby exists. It is a thing, okay? Um it's living, breathing, and alive. So let me just name a couple more. I'll spare you guys the details and the descriptions of each company. But you got the Journal of, of the American Veterinary Medical Association. You got the Best Friends Animal Society. You have the Animal Care Industry. And um, these are just a few companies that have a vested interest in keeping pit bull ownership up. Um the you know the fact that pit bulls are glorified and the fact that they're that you know american animal shelters have become holding areas holding warehouses for pit bulls there are many parties who have a vested interest in that who 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 have an incentive to keep that going because they receive a lot of revenue uh unfortunately um, there are a lot, and I've said this earlier, but I'll reiterate it. There are a lot of lies going on about the pit bull breed. Um, there are some myths going on, going on, going around about the pit bull breed. Um, oftentimes, we will hear that the pit bull breed was once dubbed the nanny dog in the Victorian era because. They were so good around children, at keeping children comfortable. 
Now, this is false. This isn't something. This isn't a misconception. Uh, this isn't. So, this isn't a misconception that came from something that was kind of true, and then now it was made bigger into a bigger thing. No, this isn't something that started from something else, and it's a rumor. No, this literally never happened. This is literally made up fantasy. Um, and here's why it's dangerous. It's dangerous because I'm thirsty. No, here's why it's dangerous. Because pit bulls, more than any dog, have been bred to be physically strong and have the ability to cause a devastating amount of damage in combat melee situations. Pit bulls have a tendency to choose small mammals and small small living things about maybe the size of, like you think the size of my corgi and the, the size of an infant, the size of a toddler, they like to attack small things around those sizes. So I think it's especially dangerous to call pit bulls nanny dogs when... Out of all of the domesticated dog breeds, pit bulls are absolutely the worst choice to have around children. Here's something that makes no sense, that I don't understand, and you shouldn't understand it either. Okay? We have... Many different dog breeds. Now, unlike human ethnicity, which is a result of, you know, natural human, natural selection. Dog breeds aren't a result of natural selection. Dog breeds are the result of human intervention. Humans took certain dogs with certain traits, and that's why we have dog breeds. Here's what I don't get and what you shouldn't get either. Why is it that we as people can concede to the fact that golden retrievers were bred for a certain purpose? That when you throw something, they're very eager to go get it and and bring it back to you. I saw a golden retriever when I was babysitting a golden retriever once. No, no, it was a Labrador retriever. Actually, it was two twins, two twin Labrador retrievers. I remember uh, we forgot their names, so we called it thing. We called them thing one, thing two, and these are two little cute black labs. And it was so funny. I had a stick, and I kept throwing it. And I'm thinking back to it. This was so much fun. I had the stick. Okay, I throw it, and thing one. As soon as I threw it, thing one would go get it and bring it back to me. Faster than a fucking rabbit on crack. He got that thing to me so fast. And the look on his face was like he was in heaven. That that fucking dog doing that, retrieving that stick and bringing it back to me. 
That was him and his natural habitat. He couldn't be happier. That's what he was born to do. And here's the thing. I got tired of throwing the stick and having him come back to me because, you know, that's not what I was born to do. I got bored of it. I got tired of standing there throwing the stick. So I try to put it on the shelf. Yo. Hey, hey, come here. No, no, no. Don't chew on that. Sorry. I, uh, I, put, it, I put the stick on the shelf, okay? And this dog, he, first of all, that stick is like crack to him. He's looking at that stick, and he loves it, okay? I put the thing on the shelf way high up so he can't get it. This dude is jumping up and down, up and down, trying to get that stick that he can't reach, and he is jumping as fast as he can do it. He'll, he jumps up, falls down, immediately tries again. He's trying, 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 trying. That dog was bred to do that. Okay, when he is fetching a stick, he's doing what he was bred to do, okay? Uh, now, if a passerby walked by my house and saw him doing that, and you ask them, why is that dog... Uh, retrieving that stick. That person isn't going to say, it's not the dog, it's the owner. It's not going to happen. They're going to say, well, it's because it's the retriever and that's what a retriever does. Okay? Now let's go to my corgis. We understand that corgis are a distinct dog breed. They were bred to herd a certain animal. I forget who, which animal they were meant to herd, but they were bred to herd. I believe it's a large animal. That's why they're kind of small. Uh, something. There's there, there's a reason that they have small bodies that are close to the ground and short little legs. But anyway, my dogs were born to herd. That's what they try to herd me sometimes. Like when I when I let them out of their crate, they get they 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 try to herd me, and it's so cute. It's so fun. That's what they were meant to do, okay? Now, and this is going to hurt some people's feelings, okay? This is where it gets weird. If I were to tell people the two things I just said now about the retriever and the corgi, they're like, yep, sounds legit. But if I go ahead and say, well, pit bulls were bred to be fighting dogs. They were bred so that they could fight and be efficient in fighting, be efficient in combat, and cause as much damage as possible during a combat situation. That's what they were bred to do. When a pit bull mauls a horse, mauls its own owner, a mother who is having an epileptic seizure, mauls her to death, that pit bull was doing what it was bred to do. That's the truth. That is the truth. And by the way, that happened very recently. In New Jersey, a pit bull attacked its owner, who was a mother. I believe she was a 43-year-old woman. This woman was having an epileptic seizure, and her own pit bull, her own pit bull mauled her to death. Ain't that something? That pit bull was doing what it was born to do, though. So why did this mother buy a pit bull if it was bred to maul 
and kill and maim and injure. Why would she do that? Why would she knowingly put her family in danger? Well, the thing is, she didn't know that. She didn't knowingly put her family in danger. She put her family and herself in danger, but she didn't do it knowingly. You see, when you have Caesar Milan getting in front of a camera, talking about how great pit bulls are, when you have um, YouTube videos about how every pit bull on earth was abused and that's why they're aggressive. And if you see an aggressive pit bull, don't judge it because that's kind of like racism. You know, pit bulls are the black people of dogs. And, you know, when you have all this, this media sentiment in favor of the pit bull, this deadly, dangerous dog that no one should own, that should be wiped off existence, that should really be extinct. Okay, now I'm not calling for the mass killing of pit bulls, no. I'm calling for let's let them be phased out. Let's not have any more. Enough with the pit bull puppies, okay? These are dangerous dogs. But anyway, when the media sentiment is in favor of these pit bulls, these dangerous land shark killing machines, then it changes the public opinion. It shifts public opinion in a different direction. And that lady, she didn't get up one morning and say, let me get a dog that is statistically most likely to murder me and my family. She didn't say that. She got up and said, let me be. I I love dogs. I love animals. I want to adopt. I want to rescue an animal. Let me rescue a pit bull because Caesar Milan said they're such good dogs. And unfortunately, that woman lost her life. Another tragic, tragic thing, and this was in New Jersey, I know for a fact. Uh, A three-year-old boy was in his own backyard when he was mauled by either, I I think it was a couple pit bulls or one pit bull, but this boy lost his life due to either one or a few pit bulls. And here's the thing, the, the, the media sentiment in favor of pit bulls is so rampant, so bad, so extreme that I have heard, first of all, you know the mother of the girl who was killed? Or No, 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 I'm sorry. The daughter of the mother who was mauled to death by the pit bull? You wouldn't believe this. The daughter was interviewed by the news about her mother's death Making, she was making excuses for the pit bull. It's worse than you even think. I, 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 I'm pausing here because no words could describe how angry that made me. And I'm trying to find the right words to articulate how it makes me feel to even recollect how she justified that. It made me so fucking mad. The daughter of the woman who was mauled to death by her own dog, the daughter actually claimed, the daughter said, oh, he was just trying to help. The daughter claimed that the dog was just trying to help when it mauled her mother to death. The daughter actually thinks that their pet pit bull was trying to help her mother who was having an 
epileptic seizure. Help her by sinking its teeth into her. When will the madness end? How how does one even draw that conclusion? How does that thought inhabit anyone? How? 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 I don't understand. I understand that the that the, the Pitbull lobby has a lot of money and they're throwing it they're throwing it at the media so that they can make Pitbulls look favorably. I don't understand how all the media sentiment in the world to make Pitbulls look good. I don't understand how, okay? I don't care if I was being fed a lie my whole life and I was raised into a cult that showed me that the Pitbulls were the gods of the earth. If a Pitbull killed my loved one, someone I was so close with, my own fucking mother, I would denounce everything that I was born with. I would know that I, that I, that I was raised with a lie. I don't know how that daughter witnessed that piece of shit pit bull, that dirty, mangy pit bull, that vicious, murderous, maniac pit bull like they all are, kill her mother, and she actually thinks it was just trying to help. You know... Things like this is why I, I stopped stopped getting too involved with wanting to change the world for the better. You, you, you literally have people in this world who are part of the class of people who are being exploited, who are actively participating in their own exploitation. There are entities that have the power. See, the U.S. government is not as powerful as the U.S. media. Whoever runs the U.S. media has the power to make the public believe whatever they want. We as a country are at at mercy of the media. We really are. And there's no other word for it. It's brainwashing. It is simply brainwashing. There have been things that seem so clear-cut, so, so obvious, so obvious. But, you know, somebody with more money doesn't want, doesn't want the people as a whole to see something that's so obvious. They want to hide it. They want them to to believe something that is obviously against them. You know, I'm thinking of a certain scenario. I'm trying to, trying to articulate it. Okay, in Maine, the state of Maine, in this recent, the, the presidential election, they also, they also vote on local legislation. There was a proposal in Maine that we're going to introduce a more uh, more democratic way to vote, meaning like if there is a candidate, instead of uh, instead of making it a style of voting where the majority takes all, it was a different style where 
I forget. It's a better style where where everybody's more represented. Uh, it, it it's clear basically that the, that style of voting is more representative of the people as a whole of the population. Okay, um, and you know I've seen videos on this type of voting. I think it's called metered voting or tapered. I I don't know, but anyway, um, I don't. The way when you look at the way it would have turned out, um, this way to vote. Is more is the way that morally represents the population. Well, whatever brainwashing they did to the people of Maine, well, they voted against it. But some brainwashing had to happen to get the people of Maine to vote against their interests. And I'm telling you, that shit happens all the time. Okay, lobbying is done by a very small group of people. And most of lobbying is to get the majority of people, the majority of people that can't afford lobbyists, people like you and me, to vote against their own interest and vote for the interests of the people who can afford the lobbyists. So it's frustrating, and a lot of people just don't get it, and a lot of people don't want to get it. Uh... It's it's a lot of times when people do get it, it's just too much information for them to bear. You know, I get it, but here's the thing: I stopped trying to stop it. I stopped trying to make the world a better place because you know it really feels it. It, it already is a game against the odds when you have. A very powerful few against a very insignificant bunch of people that are more in numbers, but very easy to control and very powerless, even collectively. That's bad enough, but when you have, when you've gotten to the point where the majority of people, no matter where they stand economically, or in the power structure that they're actively participating against their own interest. And when you, when somebody like me tries to stop it, tries to raise awareness, and it's met with complete ignorance and complete complacency, you just start to lose hope, which is why I stopped trying to change the world for the better. Um... All I know is the the best I can do is live my best life, but, you know, one guy is not going to change the world. If I can bring awareness, if I can bring happiness to some people's lives, if I can make some people's lives a little better, then I'll be happy. But I ain't changing the fucking world. That ain't happening. But, okay. I think you got the hint. You got the point. I don't like pit bulls. There's a pit bull lobby. I think I've made that pretty clear. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if there's... That. I think there was some other stuff I wanted to say about pit bulls. Um, well, I was going to tell... Uh, I, I've talked to a couple people who have uh, had their either... I'm talking to one person who had their dog... Their small dog 
uh, killed by a pit bull. I've talked to some people who have personally been attacked by pit bulls. And um, I have talked to some of these people about being on the show. And I think we're going to do that sometime in the future. But um, I'm not going to say a whole lot more about pit bulls. But I do want to bring up some facts. um, Some actual facts. And I have them right here on my sheet, actually. So... If you were to ask what dog breed kills the most animals, most farm animals, the most the most reported animal attacks, um, attacks by an animal on another animal, that would be pit bulls. Um, in 2008, pit bulls killed about 11,325 animals. Pit bulls killed about... Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, dogs in 2018 killed about 11,325 animals. Pit bulls killed about 6,000 of them, which is 53% of all animal attacks done by dogs. Okay, so yeah, out of all the dogs who have killed animals, uh, pit bulls have killed the most, that's 53%, while all of, of the other dog breeds combined... Killed only 47%. What else we got? Okay, what dog breed is responsible for the most fatalities? That would be the pit bull. Uh, Let's see. Um, The pit bull is responsible for the most fatalities and the most fatal attacks in the U.S. by far, killing 284 people over a 13-year period. 66% of total fatalities... um, have been perpetrated by pit bulls. And that's despite the breed accounting for just 6.5 of the total U.S. dog population. Um, Let's see, what else? Uh, Pit bulls make up only 6% of the dog population, but they're responsible for 68 of dog attacks and 52% of dog-related deaths since 1982, according to research compiled by Merrick Clifton, the editor of Animals 24-7, an animal news organization that focuses on the humane work and animal cruelty prevention. What else we got? Number one canine killer of children is pit bulls. Pit bulls are the number one canine killers of children, killing more than half of the children killed by a dog. In 2017, dogs killed 15 children out of the 39 total human fatalities. So out of 39 human fatalities perpetrated by dogs in 2017, 15 were killed by children and by pit bulls. It doesn't say, but it does say that pit bulls are the number one canine killers of children. I have one more here. Number one canine killer of women is, you guessed it, Pit bulls. Pit bulls are the number one canine killers of women and girls, killing more than half of the females killed by a dog. In 2018, 28 American females were killed by dogs, and 19 of the killings were by pit bulls. So that's about three-quarters of them. Yeah, it's about three-quarters or two-thirds. I'm not sure. I'm not a math guy, but uh, I just wanted to read some fast facts. So, uh, you know... If, if if maybe you're not a dog person, you don't know a lot about pit bulls, but I'm sure you've heard that a lot of people love pit bulls. 
Um, but, I, I, you know, maybe you've never heard these facts. So I'm telling you about the general sentiment about pit bulls head on head, faced off with the actual facts. These are the statistics, despite the pit bull lobby going on. So that's not the end of the story. Uh, I have a lot more to say about pit bulls, but, you know, I think that pretty much wraps it up for right now. Uh, In the future, I am going to have some guests on the show. I have, like I said, somebody whose little dog was unfortunately murdered by a pit bull. I also have somebody who has spoken to their local city council about enacting breed-specific legislation to protect their community from pit bulls. I'm also trying to get somebody who is pro-pit bull on the show so we can understand their point of view and see what they think about the public sentiment on pit bulls and is it justified given the fact that they're the number one killers of children, women, animals, and that they are responsible for the most dog-related fatalities. See what they think about it. See what they have to say about it. And, um, yeah, I think it would be a good conversation. You know, I, 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 I am of a certain school of thought, but I am by no means against hearing differing views. So I hope to, in the future, have people on my show who are of different schools of thought. I think that would be very fascinating. And, you know, I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to be part of a debate on a podcast, you know, so I think that'll happen sometime in the future. Um, I've been on for about an hour, and, uh, you know, at this point, I'm not a pro. I'm an amateur podcaster, so I think the three-hour podcasts should be reserved for the Joe Rogan types, the Bill Burr types, the people who know what they're doing. You know, for me, I'm just getting my feet wet, and, uh, you know, I, I'm happy with myself. I did an hour of this, and uh, I think it was pretty good, pretty decent. There are only a couple dry spots um, for a first, first time or somebody just getting his, first, his feet wet. I don't think it was that bad, so... uh I think I'll be putting this online pretty soon, and pretty soon I'm going to find a way to get this roadcaster to be streaming things live so I can truly have this stuff air and then truly forget about it. You know, just put it out there and then move on to the next thing. Not, not even have to worry about editing. But we'll see. We'll work it out in the future. But um, to those who listened or are listening, thanks for the support. Everybody have a good day, good night. Take care. I'll see you later.